0: Show. Proudly sponsored by BTOsports.com with Steve Mathis.
1: Welcome to the directmotocross.com, btosports.com podcast show. I'm your host, Steve Mathis. Uh, with me on the line is a mover and shaker in Canadian moto, uh, nay, maybe just in moto itself, uh, Mechanics where Canada President Rick Sharon. Rick, uh, what's up, man? Thanks for doing this.
0: Hey, Steve. How are you?
1: I'm good. Uh, uh, I'm sure you're super busy, so I appreciate you taking the time to do this. No problem. Um, before we get too far into this. I have something for you to to listen to. Okay. All right. You ready? This is uh, by request, by the way.
0: Okay.
2: Raised in Southern California, residing in Vancouver, British Columbia, your 1970s hole shot champion. He worked with the rollerball and is now president of Mechanics Wear Canada, Rick Hole Shot
1: Sharon. How's that? You like that? (laughs) (laughs) That's your intro, brought you in. Oh, that's
0: uh, hilarious. Special, that's hilarious. That's awesome. made. I, uh, I've loved that voice since the first time I heard it at the U.S. Open about 10 years yeah, ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, he, uh, I found him, and he's doing some commercials for me, and uh, your son put me up to it. I, he did tell me uh, you were a fan. Obviously, that's why a sitting here. Um, but, yeah, how cool is that,
0: right? Yeah, that's really cool. I love it.
1: Uh, <laughs> let's play it again. Hold on, let's play it again.
2: Raised no in Southern California, residing in Vancouver, British Columbia, your 1970s hole shot champion. He worked with the rollerball and is now president of Mechanics Wear Canada, Rick hole Shot
1: Sharon. <laughs> Love it. Of course, I added the rollerball part in there.
2: Oh, yeah, no right? problem.
1: No um, problem. That well, was awesome. Yeah, uh, and we'll get this to you. So, uh, when you can instruct Mechanics where employees to always play this as you walk down the hallway.
0: Yeah, yeah. good good plan. That's a good plan. <laughs> yeah,
1: Exactly. <laughs> um, what's going on with you nowadays? Obviously, uh, we'll get to your past. Uh, Moto wise, uh, you've done it all here. and uh, But Mechanics Wear Canada, from what I was speaking to you a while ago, is, is booming.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's going fantastic. Um, I mean, we're really just killing it here. Um, you know, we've had a record year pretty much every year since we started in 1997. But, you know, we started as Axo Canada. Mm-hmm. And we had Axo, Renthal, and Mechanicsware when I partnered up with Jim Hale. And it just kind of evolved. You know, Axo went away. And we had Renthal, picked up a couple other lines like Pro Circuit and Garnet. And then it became 661 Canada when I partnered with Eddie Cole and you know we separated the company because Mechanics Wear was doing so well that mm-hmm. had to have its own identity and its own its own staff and its own its own focus. And so, you know, we separated the companies, and then in two thousand and seven, we sold the six six one, the Moto Company, mm-hmm. and that left me with Mechanics Wear on its own, and uh, just been doing fantastic. I, I love coming to work every day, running Mechanics Wear. I've got a great group of, of staff here, and it's uh, doing really well.
1: I imagine it's a lot less. Drama or maybe headaches than the motor world. Like you're just taking the orders and shipping them out and creating new accounts. And
0: it's you know. a real distribution company. Yeah, <laughs> right. uh, the products are created in the states and with my partners, and we just buy them and bring them in and ship them out. It's it's pretty much it's like a vending machine, really.
1: Nobody wants a deal. Nobody wants. Oh, everybody a, wants a
0: deal. <laughs> but, wow. You know, yeah. it's still business. <laughs> business is still business. We're selling a product. Yeah. So, oh. Yeah. We we still do all that, but I don't. I don't personally deal with that part of it. Uh, you know, my guys yeah. are, are really capable of handling it all, and they know what I expect, and uh, it's actually pretty easy for me. It's almost, I almost like to say I'm semi-retired.
1: <laughs> I got to say, I had, I mean, obviously mechanics wear, are in, uh, down here they're in auto zones and, you know, Walmarts and things like that, um, mm. and they're used, you know, in all the racing end of things, but those guys are getting it, getting gloves for free. I had no idea mechanics Wear, in general in the worldwide, was such a massive, profitable money machine. Like, these things, they're everywhere, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's 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 really amazing. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the number of gloves that, that are possible to sell, it's it's unlimited. You know, we can yeah. sell gloves to everywhere. I mean, we have a mine, a uranium mine or something like that in Newfoundland that's just opening up, and they yeah. have women, you know, as 30% of their workforce, and, you know, they're buying... Pink camo gloves for the women, and they're going through a pair a day. Yeah, yeah. Because they can't yeah. let them get contaminated. Blah 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 blah. Right, so right. uh, you know, it just it's stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I, I remember using them as a mechanic. You know, when they first came onto the scene, mid well, mid nineties, right? Um,
0: yeah, early nineties. They started with NASCAR. 90s? Yeah,
1: and uh, yeah, a good glove. Everything else, but who knew? Who knew uh, that? Yeah, just the marketing yeah. machine.
0: Okay. You know, while we were doing the moto stuff in the in the late '90s, when I first got started with them, they yeah. kept saying, "You know, Mechanics Wear is where it's at. Mechanics Wear is where it's at." And I kept going, "Yeah, but I'm a moto guy. I'm a moto right. guy. I'm a moto guy." But then it just became so crazy that it just you just you couldn't deny it.
1: Yeah. What if you had said, "You know what? I'm not interested. I, you know, I don't want to." Yeah, that
0: would have been a big mistake.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Jim Hale started it. Is that is he the founder of Mechanics Wear? Well, yeah.
0: Well, Jim. Okay. You know, Jim was was Axel. Right. Right. At Axel Sport America. And, you know, he did a deal with Henry at Renthal and he had Renthal. And then Mechanics Wear was um, Brian Lunas' uh, invention, really. Oh, he, had really? A pair, okay. he took a pair of motor gloves, took the pads off and said, hey, okay. I use these for mechanical stuff and they're great. And uh, I'm not sure who came up with the name Mechanics with an X. It yeah. might have been Jim, it might have been Brian. I'm not 100% sure. But, and then Larry Naston, who worked for them, he he was a NASCAR fan. He took it to NASCAR, and, and overnight, yeah. it was on all the teams' hands.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, I knew Lunas had something to. I knew he worked there, obviously, but I didn't know he was that integral into starting. Well, it.
0: Lunas didn't work there until recently, until oh, the last okay. few years. He's the R and D guy. He's okay. the head of R and D now.
1: Oh wow, uh, who knew? Small world, yeah. huh? So the company yep, really small. The company, this this mega million dollar company, is really motocross roots, just like Oakley. Let's say exactly. You know? same, yeah, exactly. Same kind of deal.
0: Yeah, um, As a matter of fact, Jim and Jim Hale and Jim Gennard from Oakley used to bounce stuff off each other all the time. Oh,
1: did they? You know, it's yeah. funny because uh, working at Yamaha those years, uh, Bob Oliver, who was a you know, long-time motor guy, oh. still there to this day, he says that Jim Gennard was around quite a bit in the early 80s, and he had these grips, right, and yep. some gloves and stuff. And, and Bob was like, yeah, he was asking for money for his company, and we were all just, get out of here, you kook. You know, yeah. like he was a bit, a bit eccentric, I guess. Uh,
0: he was very eccentric. I met him because yeah. I was an Oakley distributor okay. early on. Uh, when they first had their first goggles, and uh, and I went there and I met him, and you know it was like he had locked doors all over the place. It was like a Steve Jobs at Apple type right, description, right, you know, right, right, very secretive and all that kind of stuff.
1: So why did you lose Oakley, or why did you just move on? Or?
0: Oh, I don't think you want to don't want to get into oh. that story.
2: <laughs> uh, okay.
0: Yeah, we didn't. Well. Yeah, it's a long long story. Yeah, yeah. It involves a lawsuit and the well, whole price s- fixing and the whole deal.
1: I was going to say, Rick, that probably wasn't one of your better business moves, but maybe like you said, it was a
0: it's a longer oh, story. It was, it's a, it was story a good than that. business move, but you know, we had Oakley we were the first one no, we I were mean, dropping in them. Canada. Yeah, we sold a ton them. of goggles right. and a ton of glasses, but um, you know, they they want as they were growing, they wanted uh, a different sporting goods guy and a different bicycle guy and there was a a lot of different price and selling price issues. And they tried to make they tried to force price fixing on me, and I went to a lawyer because they were going to dump me anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just oh. it turned into a big mess for wow, a while. Yeah,
1: I bet. Um, uh, I guess so. Mechanics were, like you said, self sustaining company, selling a ton and doing great. And you're the Canadian distributor for that. Um, what about Atlas and Matrix? Uh, your son Brady Sharon, uh, Brad McLean up there, also an ex racer. Uh, Eddie Cole, who you've known forever, and, and we're going to touch on Eddie in a little bit. Eddie Cole's sons are also avail- uh using this um, Matrix slash yep. Atlas stuff in the U.S. Um, talk about that! It, what an interesting combo. Uh, the dads are like stepping back, like, "Hey, we'll help you out. We'll answer some yep. questions, you know." But really, kids, here you go.
0: Yeah, when we were uh, we were on a vacation with the Cole family uh, in Cabo uh, about two thousand and Eight, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Already five years.
1: Did you see Sammy Hager at all? Was he
0: down there? Uh, He was there, but we didn't see him. (laughs) But, um, yeah, we, um, Eddie had, and I had known this before, but he had a little workbook of um, a line of plastic products. It was a stand, a ramp, a gas can, you know, uh, um, and a couple of other little things. Mm -hmm. And he had a little workbook that, that, his, that one of his friends, uh, Arnold Taylor, who is an, a longtime friend of Eddie's, and he's a plastic engineer, and he had this little plan uh, for something called MRP, which was Matrix Racing Products, and Eddie kind of had it in his back pocket, mm-hmm. we he'd showed it to me once before, and when we were selling 661 is kind of when it came up, and you know, it wasn't something we were prepared to get into, but I said, hey, that might be something for down the road. The kids were still a little on the young side. Brady was only 19 at the time, and the Coles the boys were, were 18, the twins. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but then we were in Cabo, and he said, yeah, I want to talk about this Matrix thing, because we had sold 661, and it was already 2008. And yeah. I said, yeah, let's talk about it. So we sat around a table there with the all the kids and said, you know, we have this plan and this is a company that you could, you guys could run, you know, we Mm -hmm. can, we can start this company and we can build it up and maybe one day we can, they can, you know, they can sell it and you guys will run it and blah, 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 blah. So they were all in, Mm -hmm. you know, they were all in and we financed it for them and got it started. And, and really, um, you know, Eddie's, Eddie's boys are a a year younger than Brady. Brady was kind of gung ho. He was kind of done racing professionally and, he did a lot of the designs. He turned into this phenomenal little engineering designer guy that never had any education for that. (laughs) Uh, He self-taught himself. He he was self-taught on, uh, on, um, the, uh, on the computer program he uses. And, and, um, he turned out, you know, he was doing the mats for Chad Reed's team and, you know, all, all the designs for the Geico mats and James Stewart and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So he was really, you know, going gung ho on, on matrix. And then, so that got started in 2009 and yeah. and and is doing really well and uh at the same time um he you know was he wore neck braces from the beginning you know, when when leet came out i wanted him to get one so right. he he got one and wore that and then at, when he was on that fun center team the alpine star guys were at the at one of the test tracks and wanted him to try one of their braces and he liked that better so he switched to that mm-hmm and then when Omega got going, um, we were in Vegas at the supercross, and Rick Smith, um, formerly from Mechanics Wear, who was doing Omega and jet boots in the states mm-hmm. um, wanted him to try an Omega brace and see what he thought. They had a few prototypes, and they weren't on the market yet and and so he said, "Yeah, sure, I'll try it." and he tried it, and he really didn't like it at all I mean he couldn't couldn't get adjusted properly to see with the amount of mobility mm-hmm. and yeah. and stuff like that. And he started, he just said to me one day, he says, you know what, I could design a better brace than all these guys. <laughs> he says, because I don't like the Liat because it has the cover on it and it gets wet. And, you know, it's, it's like a cast on my neck and I just mm-hmm. really don't like it. And he said, the Alpine Star is a little better, but it's still not right. I think I could do, I think I have some ideas that could be better. So right. he started playing around with some designs and and uh, you know, he made the first, the first little one. He drew it up and he cut it out of a sheet of aluminum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, <laughs> it was pretty funny because you know it wasn't right and right. and all that stuff. Uh, and yeah. then he anyway, he went a little further and and uh, and he he got this program called SolidWorks. Uh, that's the computer program I was talking about. And he, and he taught it was self-taught with a little bit of help from Arnold Taylor. And he uh, designed a, another version, and then another version. Then he finally yeah, yeah. got a, a plastic model made of the first one, and showed it around to some people. And it wasn't quite right, and uh, and then he and then he changed it up a couple more times, and it got a lot closer. And then people started to like it. He actually showed it to Villapoto when he had the first one made, and Ryan liked it, mm-hmm. and uh, said, "Yeah, I, I think this is cool. You know, let's you know, why don't you change this and this." couple little things and, and he did and he went back to work and it took about three years altogether to get to get the right one and then uh we decided to to start another brand. You know, we didn't want to link it to Matrix because, you know, of the liability yeah. potential and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. started another company called Atlas and basically it's his baby and mm-hmm. uh he does all the design for it and all the testing and and uh he's been to Taiwan several times and Yeah and uh, that's it. And I, I'm really just an advisor for Brad and Brady. Brad's doing a phenomenal job on the business side of Matrix and Atlas, and Brady's doing the design work for yep. the two companies. And and they just hired Ryan Lockhart, and he's kind of the brand manager for Canada and looking after rider support and those kinds of things. So really, for the, for Matrix and Atlas, I'm really I, I'm more just a financial contributor yeah. and uh, advisor.
1: And I mean, let's face it, you and Eddie have been through these chess moves before, so. You, oh, I mean to, to, to lean on your guys' combined years, um both all the kids to, to lean on your guys' combined years of experience, that's a that's a huge thing. I mean, hey, don't do this. We did this
0: in eighty seven. Oh yeah, we, we talk and, every you know, day. Yeah. Every day, every single day I talk with Brad and Brady right. about about things yeah. that they want to bounce off of me um, or I want to suggest to them. And yeah. you know, we, we we go down to California all the time. Matter of fact, we just got back the other on Monday. Yep. From another trip there and so we're always there meeting with eddie and the boys and yep. there's just there's a there's a ton of work to do and everybody's got a lot of ambition and motivation and and it's really exciting i, I love seeing it all fall into place
1: right right and, and and the best part is you don't have to work those crazy hours you can just go home <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> um exactly right i don't sweat the small stuff anymore yeah
1: yeah exactly right um obviously in your own businesses throughout the years have been uh pretty successful i can't help but See the tie-in a lot uh, first with Answer uh, yep. and Eddie Cole, who started Answer, then Six Six One and, and uh, Eddie Cole himself. I don't know him well. I did one of these with him. I he, heard it. Yeah, he, he was a great guy, uh, always friendly. What What is it about Eddie Cole? Where did you meet him? How did you guys become so linked? Uh, talk about that a little bit.
0: Well, it's a funny story. Um, you know, when I was in, when I lived in California, and uh, I raced Mammoth one time. It was 1973, and mm-hmm. I had a Monarch, a 125 Monarch, and it had the. Well, you probably don't know because you were too young, but it had a plastic aftermarket tank with a, a little, um, and the the petcock was a screw type system, <laughs> okay. where it, where you where it had like a little knob, and you would unscrew it to open it, and screw it up to close it. And we were sitting on the starting line together, him and I, and you know I knew who he was, right. and he I don't think he knew who I was at the time but because um, he was you know a couple years ahead of me and in mm-hmm. in, uh, in you know uh, results and things yeah. like that he was one of the top guys of Indian dunes and all that stuff and so I was on the starting line and my dad was standing behind me and he was sitting on the starting line right beside me and his dad was standing by him and we were just talking and I looked down and I looking at his penton and uh, mm-hmm. I said hey Eddie you got a flat tire yeah, And he says, oh, well, I guess I'm out then because it was only a couple minutes from the start. And yeah, I yeah, said, well, yeah. no, no, no. I said, go down to my van. It's right there. Like it's 100 feet away. I got a can of seal and air in there.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But right. try it out. So dad took his bike down there. They put the seal and air. Came back. Eddie finished third, I think. And uh, we got halfway up the start hill. And I realized when I was looking after him, I forgot to turn my gas on.
2: <laughs>
0: right. You couldn't turn the gas on on those big carburetors. at the. You know, he had to just wait. Yeah anyway so uh you know that messed me up yeah. and It helped him so that's how we kind of met oh, that's and funny funny thing yeah. is i never really talked to him again until i had moved to canada in 1975 and started r&m uh-huh. and you know of course i became really good friends and one of my best friends was bill mclean and uh we decided we were going to go to california together and i was going to race hangtown i think it was 1976 mm-hmm. that's what that's the year that it was and uh and he, would, he didn't have an AMA license, and he wasn't going to do that, but he was going to you know, race some stuff in Southern California, like um, some Saddleback Saturday and different stuff like that. So we just went on a little trip, and he said, hey, let's stop, let's stop in Valencia at Eddie Cole's house, because Eddie raced in Canada in the early 70s. Okay. He, worked, he raced for Manley's Kawasaki, which was a factory Kawasaki-type program. Mm-hmm. He raced once, I think it was one season or maybe two up here. And uh, Bill became friends with him, and he says, "Well, you know, hey, Eddie's always said. Let's. He was always been a very hospitable guy, yeah. and he's a great, good guy. And we'll stop there, and we'll go riding with him a few days, and we'll stay at his house. He invited us, and cool. so that's what we did. So we stopped at Eddie's house, and at the time, he had just started answer. Yeah, I was going to
1: say this is around answer time, right? Yeah,
0: it was just pre-sort of just when they got going, and it was all he had was a Botaco swing arm, and he had a handlebar." And he had a uh, just he was just coming out with a crossbar pad and they were cutting the foam in their garage, you know, and mm-hmm. They had a twenty foot thing of foam and they would cut it off at twelve inches and and somebody was sewing the covers for them and <laughs> and that, that's how that happened and he said to me, he says, Well what what kind of handlebars are you selling? And I said, Well, I deal with Hallman and I'm selling these Roger DeCoster signature Hallman handlebars. They had a couple of different bends, and he says, well, how many do you buy at a time? I said, I buy 50 at a time. He says, well, why don't you try, try my bars? And So I said, sure. Yeah. Why not? And then all of a sudden they had Bob Hannah's signature on them, and guess who was the most popular rider in <laughs> 1976 yeah. and 77? Because Eddie just Bob somehow, Hanna.
1: Eddie was his mechanic, or Eddie struck up a friendship with Bob at some point? Ed- Eddie,
0: right? Eddie grew up riding with Bob. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they were just friends, just riding, buddies, riding right? through the sand wash in Valencia.
1: Um. So, yeah, so the handlebars with Hannah's signature, big sellers.
0: Yeah, and he sold, He told Hannah, you know, I'll give you 50 cents for every pair of handlebars that I sell. Yeah. And so... Um,
1: Bob's like, cool.
0: Yeah, I, I so see. Bob said, yeah, fine, sure, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And Bob was very easygoing with Eddie and did, did whatever he wanted. So anyway, one thing led to another, and we were selling answer handlebars, and then they had mufflers after that, and we were a distributor for answer, and... And uh, they grew and grew and grew. I just a little side note to that story is, after a couple of years, um, Bob, uh, uh, Eddie asked Bob to do him a favor, and Bob always says yes when Eddie asks him a favor. And I don't know <laughs> if you've heard this story. I don't know. Uh, well, maybe, admit, maybe it was on his podcast. I don't remember. But anyway, he mm-hmm. says, I need you to go to Phoenix for me and pick up a car and drive it back. And Bob says, yeah, sure, whatever. Well, yeah. Okay, I'll go. Yeah. So he goes to Phoenix. He sends Bob to Phoenix, and uh, Bob went to, I, I'm not sure all the details, who picked him up or how he got there, but it was a Ferrari dealership. And he goes to the Ferrari dealership, picks up this Ferrari, drives it back to Valencia, and says, okay, what's what's the deal? And Eddie says, well, here, you keep it. It's yours. Yeah. He says, well, what do you mean it's mine? He says, yeah, that's the royalties from the handlebars we sold. <laughs> I
1: didn't did you, know that. No, I don't think You never he, heard that story? I don't think he told me that one, or if he did, thats I forgot, and that's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. So he bought him a Ferrari. Yeah. Or the royalties that he that he made on the handlebars, so that was an interesting little fun side note. So anyway, yeah, answer products. So so Eddie and I just became you know yeah. friends. And, and now, did uh, he remember
1: you from the tire at Mammoth? Yeah, yeah, oh,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, um, yeah, because we raced together at Hangtown after that. Okay, yeah, and uh, yeah, but we weren't buddies and stuff. We just you know he, became buddies through business, yeah. really yeah,
2: through
1: business. Um, yeah. um, and hi- and as answer grew. So did you start taking on more lions and this and that, right?
0: Yeah, Eddie uh, was like a brother to me. Yeah. I mean, he just, you know, he was all he and he's this that way. He's that type of guy when you get to know him. He he's just he's so helpful and you know, it's like well, whatever he can do to help somebody else he wants to do. I was just I was just telling and he you. helped he helped me and and, and um, you know, with anything, it's like, well, what do we need to do to do better with Answer in Canada? Say, yeah. well, I got this competition and that he goes, Okay, well let's do this and let's do that and right. we, together we just worked through it and we made the program work and answer was huge here.
1: The guy's got a bit of a Midas touch, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, he's a he's a he's a expert marketing genius.
1: Yeah. Um yeah. I and mean, and you've been around, I mean, ever in the industry you've been around uh just about everybody and anybody over the years in Canada and the US. Uh so you say that with pretty pretty good authority, I would I would think.
0: Yeah, he. I mean, he's one of those guys. You know, he's he's just right up there with everybody else. Yeah, um, with all the, with all the, with all the smart guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yourself though, racing. Um, so born in, born in California. No, born in Vancouver. Oh, born in Vancouver. Okay, so how do you yep. end up living in California?
0: Because my parents had a restaurant named after me. Oh yeah? And uh that they started and there's a there's a chain of them here now in Vancouver area. Well they go in Vancouver and Al- B C and Alberta, it's called Ricky's. It's just a oh, little you, Did
1: uh... you just make that up? Did you just make that up? <laughs> are you being serious? I'm not making it up.
0: No, no. Any, everybody around here knows knows bit of a little bit of a little bit of and and bit of a to bit to a little there, of a little bit of a little And uh, we ended up moving to California. Oh, okay. when I was 13. Well, I just turned 13. Yeah. And I really didn't want to go, and you know they 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 they'd promised you know I wanted a dog and I wanted a mini bike, and I had a little <laughs> list of bribery <laughs> right, stuff right right right, and so they said, yeah okay, yeah, we'll get a dog, we'll get you a mini bike, and
1: contract demands right. yep, yeah, so
0: yeah. we got there and in I was thirteen and eighth grade and uh, got a mini bike, and uh you know I'll go to my my junior high and and the the boom, I mean, this is nineteen sixty eight so the dirt bike boom was in full bloom yeah, there, right I mean every kid that I knew either surfed or had a mini bike right and and so you know we rode our mini bikes around every day, and you know uh after I got a little too big for that we you know we ended up with a you know back then what I had was guys had Suzuki eighties and Yamaha eighties that were like eighteen inch wheel like sort of trail bikes they called them. And so you would strip them down and ride them all over the place. And and then when I was 15, you can at 15 and a half you can get a, a learner's permit to ride a motorcycle on the street.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I thought, okay, well, that'll be perfect to ride to high school. So I ended up getting this Yamaha 125 AT1.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Rode it to school for about a week or two. Uh, and the next thing I knew, I'd stripped it down, and I was going motocross racing. Right. And so that was my first experience with that. And after a couple, of uh, my parents were sort of against it. Yeah, were they? I, yeah,
1: I was going to ask, are they supportive or now they
0: No, uh, not really. My mother, especially, against it, and my dad kind of liked it after he saw it and saw the the camaraderie and the kids, and
2: right. you
0: know, it was just a boom. It was just booming, like it was just unbelievable. You can't even imagine what it was like in Southern California at that time. Yeah. And um, and so anyway, we ended up. Then I rode a couple of races on that, and then we got a real, we decided, well, I need a real race bike, and so I went and got a little truck when I was 16, and I had a Penton 125, and I, that's where I kind of started racing, really kind of started when I was 16, and by the time I was 17, I was in the pro class. And and, back then, CMC, Carlsbad and Saddleback, if you get, if you win, you get four points for a win, and it was 12 points for moving up, so I had six wins in the course of a few months, and then I was a pro. That was it. Boom. And yeah, I was in there with Marty Smith and and Mike Bell and Danny Laporte and Marty Moats and Tommy Croft and Yeah. All uh, those guys. And, and we were all friends, so we all rode together. And you And yeah. then uh and then I went to uh, and then Honda after the Monarch thing and the Honda Elsinore's came out. Honda was looking for a team. uh uh-huh. And you know, really my dad really didn't know much about the racing game and sponsorship and that kind of stuff and I didn't know anything about it and Marty told me they had called Honda had called him, and he's going to ride for Honda instead of Monarch. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, that's cool. And then Bruce McDougall and Chuck Bauer had said the same thing. And, uh, and the mechanic, one of the Marty's mechanic, his name was Dennis Blanton at the time, he was talking to me on the starting line, and, and I said, well, you know, what's, how, how do I get on this team? Or, yeah. What's the yeah. deal? And they said, well, you know, send us a resume. We still have one spot. And I said, no, I, they know who I am up there. And I didn't realize I was talking to the guy who was pretty much making the decision other than the the the, the, the manager, right? Mm-hmm. Even though he was a mechanic, he was intimately involved in who was going to be on the team. <clears throat> so I sent them a resume, which consists of a file folder full of CMC results and nothing else. Yep. And uh, then I saw him again the next week, and I said, did you get my, my package I sent? And he says, yeah, we did. He says, but we're not going to have four guys from California. The, the boss wants one guy from back east, so they ended up taking Mickey Boone. Okay. And that was the only difference.
2: Yeah.
0: And they said, but, you know, if whatever you need at the races, we, we got for you. I said, if you need, you know, you need, uh, you know, a chain or sprockets or a piston or anything like that, just come and we'll help you out. Mm-hmm. So I was like, at that time, that was like a Honda support deal. <laughs> yeah, then we went to yeah. Hangtown shortly after that, and they unloaded the team, and, and uh, that's when I got my whole shot. There were yeah. three motos. At the first 125 national, and I whole shot the first two and led laps there on bo- in both motos. And my bike, I broke a chain in the first one, and I broke a transmission in the second one, oh. and I didn't race the third one. And but while I was winning the first moto, the the race team manager whose name was John Blum was standing next to my dad, and,
2: mm-hmm. and he says,
0: "You know what? May-, he says maybe we overlooked Rick a little bit. Maybe we should talk some more." Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> but that never happened because I was so pissed off and didn't finish that it just. uh yeah it just just didn't work out.
1: Yeah, so you made it pretty good. You made it pretty pretty high up. Uh, yeah, I in got your pretty I got yeah. I got
0: pretty far up there and then and then I got kind of burnt out. Um I, I missed out on the Honda deal. The bikes were blowing up all the time back then. We were like R&D. You had to be an R&D guy and a yeah. racer at the same oh, for time. Breaking sure. right. yeah. frames and blowing stuff up and cranks and rods and yeah. transmissions and everything you can imagine. I was like a full-time mechanic. <laughs>
1: So when And then, you, yeah, when and then you... what
0: happened is my um, – um, the shop I wrote for was called Norris Roberts Honda in San Clemente. Mm-hmm. And the sales manager there was named Dan Hangsleben and he wanted – he had this plan to sell radial heads and pipes for Honda Elsinore's. And he had all the numbers crunched out, and he wanted to go into business and call it Performance Cycle Products. And my dad said, yeah, that's cool. I'll I'll invest in that. Yeah, yeah. And that was going to be sort of my – his and my deal, you know? right. right. And then uh, we got a letter from Norris, the owner of the shop, that said, hey, I own the blueprints for that. I heard you were going to do that. You can't do that. I'll sue you. So my dad said, I don't want anything to do with it. And Dan said, well, you know, I got another guy if you don't want to do it. And he did. Mm-hmm. And they opened this place, and it was called DG Performance.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs>
0: and so, yeah, that's the story of, of the DG thing. And Right. Anyway, so after that happened, I kind of got burnt out. I wanted to move back to Canada because I still kept in touch with my school friends here, and right. I like to go skiing and stuff like that. And they said, well, I was 18, and they said, what are you going to do in Canada? I said, I don't know. I'll go work in a motorcycle shop or something like that. Yeah. Or I'll ride, you know, parents, and parents I, can down. Get a, parents. I can probably get a sponsorship deal up there.
2: Right.
0: So then the next couple of days later, my mom said, you know what? I, we're all going to move back. I want to <laughs> move back, too. My dad was kind of retired from the restaurant business, and... Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And they said, we'll open up our own place. We'll, we'll go get some, some lines. You know, we know yeah. the guys at Hallman, and we know JT, and we know DG, right. and we know FMF. And those were our first four lines. Yeah. And that's how we started R&M.
1: And they had nobody in Canada. None of these companies had
0: anything. We brought all that stuff to Canada, Yep.
1: Oh, wow. So, uh, Ricky's still going in California or no? Uh, it was sold
0: in 1998 or 99 because they all got old. You know, yeah. everybody got old. Yeah, so yeah. They, they were all done.
1: You could have become a short order cook in the restaurant in the family. I was a restaurant. boss
0: boy for a little while and yeah, I hated yeah. it.
1: <laughs> you were over it. I said
0: I was never gonna be in the restaurant business.
1: I'm gonna go ride my motorcycle. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I always thought you started R and M with answer with Eddie right from the start. No. Yeah.
0: No, Answer just... didn't come around along till like seventy seven. Mm-hmm. Pretty it was pretty close to seventy seven by the time that got going.
1: Right. So starting in Canada I started before him. Starting in Canada back then, what was there anybody? distribution distri- distributing anything or
0: yeah there was steen hansen
1: oh there steen was around then okay steen
0: was around then yeah and other than that there was just kind of big guys nick trading who that's where you'd get tires and batteries and that kind of stuff but you know when i came here to the races i used to come up on vacation uh-huh. sometimes you know in the summers and i raced a couple times and we just that's probably why we thought there was an opportunity, because everybody was wearing lace-up boots and jeans and sweatshirts. And, <laughs> right,
2: right, right. You know,
0: we in California, we were all in, we were in, like, uh, you know, leathers and, like, good, the good stuff, the good right. stuff you right. know? Right,
1: Um, Interesting. And, and so did you race in Canada at all as a pro? Uh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I worked six days a week in the shop, because we had, as we started out, as a retail shop and, and, a, and a distribution place sort of in the back. Uh-huh. So we would sell to dealers, but we also had a retail store. And, uh, and I raced yeah, six days or, or worked six days a week and practiced at night in the evenings or whenever I could. And, yeah. and I raced and I rode the nationals. And, you know, I got some podiums in the 125 nationals. And I was a top ten guy all the time.
1: Oh, okay. All right. So yeah. back in those, were you going across the country to try to find well, dealers?
0: You're, 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 one of your probably icons was probably Kim Hood.
1: Uh, well, yeah, before my time, obviously, uh, when I started racing, he was only doing locally, but yeah, he won the 79.
0: Yeah. And that's and him and I battled. Oh, did you really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Him and I battled. I ended up fourth, actually, because I had a couple of problems, but it was, it was pretty much him and I.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I I definitely, that was a, you know, like growing up, it's like, hey, Kim won the national title in 79. Yeah. Right. It was a big deal. But by the time I started racing, he was a local guy only, and he's still racing.
0: Yeah. And that was the last year I rode nationals.
1: Yeah. Was the business starting to pick up around then? Was that
0: Yeah, business, yeah. We definitely were getting busier and you know, I, I was getting slower as I was riding less, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah. pretty hard to work six days a week running a business and and do that. And you know, then in eighty two we, we hooked up with Alan Jaggert, and who became a friend of mine through racing and he, you know, he, he became a partner in R and M and and ran R and M in Toronto.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. So you had an you had an East Coast right away? Like Yeah. Did you not right away? Not, not yeah, right away because right. we
0: started in '75 and it was '82 when we opened that.
1: Did you in those early years? Were you making treks across the country to try to find dealers to try to sign up? Dealers? Not
0: so. Not so much. No. It, it really took until then. It like I was young when I started. I was yeah. 19, and I just sat behind the counter and handled people coming in the store, and I was doing right. porting and and servicing some bikes and just doing whatever yeah. I could. Do and I was point. racing. Right. Right. So for the first three years, I just puddled, you know. Piddled yeah. around doing that, and then, then I started to get more serious about business as I started to learn more.
1: Where does uh, R and M come from?
0: Uh, Rick and Mike. Mike's my brother. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, but he he wasn't really into it, and he left <laughs> left the company after the first year. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Over the motorcycle stuff.
0: yeah um, we weren't making any money, and right. he just wasn't having any. It wasn't. He wasn't into the motocross stuff.
1: And it was R and M from the beginning. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, yep. when, do you, when do you go uh, just dealers? When do you, go, when do you cancel out the, the retail side?
0: Um, well, Alan didn't want to, uh, Jagger didn't yep. want to do anything to do with retail. So when we started there, we opened up a distribution place. It was a warehouse. Yeah. And about a week after seeing that, I decided that's what I needed to be. <laughs> so we shut the retail right, store down. We actually sold it to the guys at Whole, that's now called Whole Shot. It's right. still going.
1: Oh, is that, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, Whole
0: oh, Shot yep. is an offshoot from the R&M no retail store.
1: See, the more, the more you know uh yeah. no idea, yeah whole shot still going strong One a big dealer yeah um, do, when do you uh focus on answer and drop the j t and the f m f and all that kind of stuff when does it yeah, well the j
0: t kind of kinda went away um after a few years, yeah when answer started making clothing, we dropped j t okay and, and so uh, Answer started making clothing, and we had Fox at the same time, and Fox ended up going with Aurora, and we ended up going with Answer and, yeah. and that's when we really started focusing on that stuff. It was in the early 80s. Oh,
1: so you had Fox, too?
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I had Fox at the same time Aurora did, so yeah, we were yeah. selling air shocks like crazy and, right, right. and clothing and stuff. And, you know, we had a meeting with Jeff Fox, and he said, you know, i got to choose one of you guys. I can't have you both because you both have warehouses in both places, and yeah. east and west. Right, right. So it didn't make any sense. So he said, "You know, why don't you take Answer and I'll give Fox to those guys?" He says, "Yeah, fine."
1: Let's and you, um, and you went with Answer. Uh, obviously, uh, Eddie Cole relationship. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yep. Exactly.
1: Um, and Eddie started. Uh, you know, I guess somewhere around the early '80s,
0: signed Johnny O. Um, and uh, yeah, eighty. Started- 84- Four, I think it was.
1: Yeah, 84, 83, Yeah, we brought there. him
0: up to race the Supercross here at BC Place. Him and Hannah came up that year. Yeah,
1: that's right. I remember that mm-hmm. as a kid, right.
0: Yeah, they stayed at my house, and they worked in our shop there in the back, and that was one of the last times we had the shop. Right after that, we had moved into a warehouse. That's when a whole shot came and took over.
1: Did they bring their works bikes? What'd they ride?
0: Yeah, they had bikes.
1: But yep. works bikes, but full, full? Yep. Yeah, okay.
0: Yep, right. yeah, but I don't even remember how they got them here. Right,
1: yeah, ship them or drive them or something, huh? Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com podcast show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross
2: parts for the bike or body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off, or Smith Piston goggles for $32.99,
1: 65% off. Your order can be shipped anywhere in the USA for free, or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at BTOsports.com. So business is is booming at this point for you. It's it's doing well.
0: At, in the eighties, yeah. you mean in the yeah. mid eighties? Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. I mean, you know, growing. Yeah, up- we were growing like crazy. M was growing like crazy, and you know, we picked up more lines and we hired more sales guys, and it, we, I was all business. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I I still wrote a little bit, and I. I raced up until about eight. Well, I raced. I even raced some vet stuff. And the last time, the last bike I had, I was trying to think of it. It was a, it was a 1990
1: KX250. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah.
0: <clears throat> and sold that I think in '91. Brady was three, and my daughter was six. You know, we have a daughter as well.
1: Brady was three in '91.
0: Yep, he's born in '88.
1: Oh my God, I'm old. It's official, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> Welcome uh, to the club. I know. Hey, at one point in Canadian Moto, and we, you know, you know this is coming in this podcast. Um, you had Rollerball, uh, Al yep. Dick and uh, and Carl Valancourt.
0: Pretty much Doug Hoover, Doug Hoover too, and
1: Hoover. Uh, you had pretty much every top rider in Canada. You know, it was basically be like having Stuart Villapoto and, and Reed right now.
0: Well, people like to say it's like we were the JT of Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, talk about getting those guys under deals. I, I guess Rollerball was first. I remember him like in '82.
0: 83? Yeah, around there. Yeah, yeah. around eighty. That's yeah, so that's about right. About eighty-two. Uh, well, it was right around Jagger started. So yeah, eighty-two, eighty-three. Yeah, um, we started with Ross, and uh, and he was with us for about ten or twelve years.
1: A- and uh, um, he had a
0: he had a, a brief a brief stint off with Cooper.
1: Yes, that's through right. Through Carl Bastido, yep, but that's right. uh,
0: that didn't turn out to to work out for him. And
1: yeah, when he rode the USGP in eighty-three, he was wearing Cooper Cooperalls. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then he left you for Kings one year too.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, well Ross was being Ross, you know, he was always looking for the best deal for him. Right. Right. And uh and but we became really good friends over the years and you know, we laughed about it all and yeah. stuff. But what, uh
1: what did these guys pull down in salary, if at all? I mean, what did they make? Was
0: it a? You mean from me? Yeah.
1: Or was it Ross all was the highest
0: Ross okay. was the highest paid guy and he was getting twenty grand.
1: Twenty grand, okay.
0: And that was a combination of products that he had to use. Yep. Uh, the main one Silk being Island. Answer, yes. so it was Answer, Garnet, Silkoline, yep. Scott Goggles, and
1: uh, so you went to all your companies that you distributed for and said, "Hey, uh, I'm going to get the top guys in racing." They helped here. us. They right.
0: all helped us pitch in. Yep. Right, right. And it was all or nothing for Ross. He tried to switch to Smith Goggles, and we said, "Well, you don't get anything then.
1: <laughs> Driving a hard bargain.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, but I
1: always, I always wondered, like for me as a kid. Um, I was always like, why does he have all of them? Because wouldn't you just need one of them? But I guess that was
0: a We wanted to... to dominate. Yeah, and you did. And you yeah, did. we dominated the marketplace for yeah. a long, long time.
1: Um, uh, and how many – give me your best Ross Peterson story. I knew you were going to ask I, that. I know. Give me,
0: give me, give me the you know, best I, one that you can I, share. I have some Ross Peterson stories, but I, I don't have <laughs> any, like, really juicy good ones that I'd probably want to repeat on here.
1: Well, what about contract and, negotiations with him? I mean, come on. There's got to be something.
0: I I'll give you a couple stories real quick, but the contract negotiations really weren't all that bad. Okay. You know, he always just wanted more <laughs> and uh we always wanted to pay less. Right, right, right. And uh but where else was he going to go? I mean, there wasn't anywhere else that was throwing money at him. Right, right. But, you know, I mean, Ross, you know, I, I don't know if I've told you these. There's a couple of stories, two or three, I can, just short ones I can give you. I used to hate it, and he, used to, and he knew it drove me, drove me up the wall, but he used to come into the warehouse, and we had some shopping carts for picking orders, and he yeah. would take a shopping cart and go, he said, I need a couple things. And before you know it, I come out, and there's a shopping cart full of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah. so that—that's a little short, funny story. But then, then when we did it with silconine, the 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 story that really uh, bothered me was hearing that he was our biggest silconine dealer.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he was. He, he yeah, was supplying yeah. <laughs> everybody in
0: Medicine Hat with silconine <laughs> out of his basement. Right, right. I found that out later, of cool. course. You know, he yeah. he was saying, "Well, you know, hey, I ride. I you know, ride I ride. Right. You know, two tanks of gas every day. Right. I go through a lot of oil. Yeah." i said, come on, Ross. I mean, there's cases and cases and cases of stuff. Right. I'm using it all. I'm using it all.
2: Yeah.
0: Or when he would come out west and he, we'd be sitting there watching TV and he wanted a snack and a snack to Ross. Do you know what the snack was that he would eat?
2: No.
0: Nails? A loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter. <laughs> that was after dinner.
1: Right, right, right.
0: That was his after dinner snack.
1: Oh, man. Um. I, I was just so, going to say it was nails. I just thought he would chew on nails.
0: <laughs> no. He was a tough guy. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, he was definitely a t- he was he was a really tough guy. But you know, in the end, after it was all over, he was he's actually deep down a really good guy. Yeah,
1: um, and then, of course, Al Dick, uh, BC guy.
0: Al Dick was tougher to deal with than Ross.
1: Well, yeah, it's funny because when I talk to Al now, and I've done a few retro articles for him, everything comes to money. Everything boils down to money with Al. Like I imagine he was tough to deal yeah. with because I-, I got
0: an Alan Dick story for you. He when he won his first number one plate. Uh huh. It was a one twenty five one, I think I can't remember. 89? Yeah,
1: something like
0: yeah that. somewhere in there. And he came in and he had this puffed out chest and he says, you know, I want I want five grand from you guys. And at the time there was like no money
2: right.
0: happening, you know. Yeah. And uh, he says, I'm number one now. Ross isn't number one, I'm number one. And I want five grand or whatever the number was, I yeah. can't remember. And I said, yeah. Well, El, I just don't have it. He said, If you don't give me five grand, I'm gonna go and buy my own gear. And mm-hmm. I said, "Well, I guess this meeting's over, and you're going to go buy your own gear then." <laughs>
1: like, too bad, yeah.
0: And uh, so that's when, that's when he went out and bought two pairs of Cinesalo pants and, and jerseys, and oh, that's and right, left them. yeah,
1: yeah. He had yeah, on Yamahas, right? Yeah. He and had.
0: he was, pretty, you know, he was. Uh... Anyway, we made amends after that, and everything was all good. But mm-hmm. that was that was a, a kind of a, yeah. a fun, a fun negotiation. Yeah. It really wasn't fun. He was really tough. He always wanted what Ross had. Right. Right. and he never could quite get there and it, a lot of it wasn't his fault cuz Al was a good guy. He helped Brady out with some riding early on too. Yep. You know and and uh, Al was Tal- a really good guy. Talented. We had a couple of we had a couple of run-ins but um but he was just uh he was just a a guy that wanted to yeah. do better.
1: Uh, talented rider, very talented. Like more so yep. than Ross, you know, just I mean he he could ride a bike. Yeah. He, he yep. lived in Manitoba for years and raced locally in Manitoba and just, you know, swept right. up with contingency. Yep. repeatedly so i got a first-hand look at that um how much money did you make off r&m pro flow gloves Three million? Four million? <laughs> i mean
0: good god it wasn't Rick. as much as, like it wasn't that much it wasn't what you think they but we were did sell everywhere a lot of r&m oh, pro like, flow gloves
1: they were everywhere and i imagine that was just yeah. something you sourced out yourself right and just said hey we're gonna slap our name on a glove and
0: yeah, we did source that out ourselves. Ah. We found out who was making Fox's gloves, and we just went straight to them. And yep. back then, you had to do everything by mail and telex.
1: Right, right, yeah.
0: You know, There was no fax email, at the time. Oh yeah, none of that. No, no email. No, no, it was a telex. So it was like I sent a telex to this guy in Korea going, you know, I understand you make JT gloves and Fox gloves, and would you be interested in making us a glove? And they said, yeah, sure, send us your design. So I put my hand on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. traced it, because I was no artist, I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Traced it, through our little R&M logo on the back, said, make this padding like this, and this color, and yeah. these three different colors, and send me some samples. Three, four weeks later, the samples show up, and uh, and uh, they're perfect. Yeah. I go, okay, here's an order. Right. And, uh, you know, I think we ordered 1,000 pairs at first, and by the time we were done, we were ordering about 12,000 at a time.
1: Yeah, th- I mean, they were, you know, Wheels West was a big shop growing up, and uh, yep. on Winnipeg, and the Bortons? Yeah, the Bo- they Those gloves were – I had a pair. I probably had three or four pairs. You
0: know what yeah, I mean? People I had, loved them. They, they loved them. They
1: were 20 bucks, maybe. They, yep. That's they right. were cheap, and they were yep. good. They lasted forever, except when you watched them, Rick, they curled into a little ball.
0: Sorry about that. Yeah,
1: that's all right. I, I think materials back then weren't as good as they are <laughs> nowadays, you know?
0: That was on with Clarino was just, just coming into play. Right. Um, in the palms. And
1: I'm sure you remember uh, my own multi-conglomerate shop in the early 90s, Steve Cycle. In, uh, uh in vaguely, so I, I placed a lot of orders with you. I even did a booking order with you one time. Really? I think I had a sales guy come to my shop. And that was your store? Yeah, it was my store. My Steve dad cycle. Steve cycle. My dad and I started it. Huh. Um And then he kind of, you know, he just walked away from it a little bit. Let me left me to run it. And I never do uh, that. In the early nineties, I think when Answer had those pads on the pants on the thighs, that yeah. around that time, I put a booking order in and everything. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for that. <laughs> RM was a big uh big guy for me. So yeah. um anyways, uh what what uh like a lot of places and people kinda of forget this nowadays, it's funny how um maybe you gotta be a certain age, I don't know, but motorcycling in the early nineties, mid nineties was bad. It was uh like it is now, if not worse, mm-hmm. right?
0: Um yeah. The eighties the the eighty two, eighty three was the first real recession that I ever experienced. Yeah. Motorcycle sales in Canada went from a hundred thousand a year down to twenty thousand. Yeah, shops were going out of business left, right, and center. It's just a good thing we weren't bigger than we were at the time, right? Because a lot of the distributors lost a lot of money. And then the early '90s, it was a similar thing. It wasn't. It didn't last that long, but it was similar. But now, it's, the the last few years have been the worst I've seen for a length of time. Oh, has
1: it really? Huh? Yeah. Oh, you, yeah. yeah you you'd say so? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, is that when? When do you sell R&M? When do you...
0: We sold R&M... Well, Eddie, Eddie Cole sold Answer in 1989. The Tucker Rocky. To Tucker Rocky. Right. And, um, you know, my dad was getting older, and, uh, you know, we were... It was a tough time, and... Quebec was talking about separating, and there was all these things going on, and mm-hmm. and Alan Jagger and I had a difference of opinion on a lot of things, even though we still got along well. Yeah, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't like it was a fight or anything, but yeah. I just thought, you know, maybe we should sell this thing. Maybe, there's a time, there's a time to sell. Right, right. And uh, and so I said to Andy, I said, hey, talk to Bob Nickel at Tucker Rocky and see if they're interested in coming into Canada.
2: Yeah.
0: And then one, you know, he did, and I got a call from Bob, and Bob said. Uh, you know, it might be something we might want to do, but now is not the right time. That was mm-hmm. like 91 or something like that. Yeah. Then I followed up with them about a year later, and I said, how's the timing looking now? Because they had just bought Answer, and they had bought Nemco, which was a Harley company. Okay. And so the acquisition, they were in acquisition mode for a while, and then they had to cool off. Because he told me, give me another year or so. So after a year, I called him back, and he says, yeah, let's talk about this a little bit. So, one, so it took several months, and they made me an offer, and, and we said, yeah. Mm-hmm. Done. So, 93, we sold R&M to Tucker Rocky and became Tucker Rocky Canada.
1: Yeah, but you still ran it.
0: I ran it. I was a president. Yep. I had a three-year contract. I stayed for four years, and then they replaced me with the son of Andre Lacey, who was the owner of uh, Tucker Rocky and some other
1: were you companies. were you okay with that, or was it was it bitter? No, no,
0: no, no. I I wasn't okay with it at all. I mean, that was my baby. <laughs> right. And uh and they came in one day, and that's how U.S. companies do it. They come and said, yeah. I mean, they were coming for a meeting, and I had a whole list of stuff to talk to them about. And yeah. I didn't, you know, I mean, I wasn't happy with the way things were being done, really. Yeah. yeah. Um. And uh, they said, okay, we're going to come and talk about it. And they came in and said, yeah, we're to talk about something first. You know, we're going to replace you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I said, okay, really? oh, well, yeah. who's
0: the new guy? Well, it's J.A. Lacey. And I said, okay, that's fine. Do you want me to, he doesn't know anything. Do you want me to yeah. train him for three months or six months or what do you want to do? Yeah, yeah. He goes, no, we want you to go downstairs and get your briefcase and leave today. Wow. And here's a severance offer for you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, what? And uh, that was it. They said, yeah, that's, that's how it works. And that, what year so was this? They basically it? fired me. What year was this? 97.
1: 97. That was yep. it. You were done. Company you I started done. and founded and.
0: Yeah, I was I was, I was was like, really, and you know, the staff, the girls were crying, and right. it was a big shake-up, and you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all of that right. stuff. So, right, right. Yeah, it just, uh, you know, right. they didn't need to do it that way, but that's the way they do things.
1: Yeah, yeah, I had no idea. I would have right. gladly
0: worked with them for a few months, but they right. wanted to do it a different way, so whatever.
1: And how did the success of Talker Rocky Canada go on after you, after you were canned? How did it... Well, a
0: year it? and a half later... They ended up liquidating their inventory, what was left of it, to Motovan, and they were done in Canada. They closed up.
1: Yeah, that's what I kind of thought. I don't remember. I, how, I built a yeah.
0: company for, I went from $7 million to $20 million in three years in Weird. sales.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Uh, Not too bad. No, no. Triple. But, you, but you've been around the game long enough, you know how it goes new owners and new, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so then around that time, uh, maybe a little bit later, Eddie starts 661.
0: No. No? No. At first, uh, 97, I, after the word kind of spreads through the industry that I'm not there, I get uh-huh. a phone call from Jim Hale. Okay. And, uh, you know, Jim and I had known each other as friendly competitors because, you know, he, him and Eddie were competitors all the time. Axo against answer. So Jim says, hey, now that you're not there anymore, can you talk openly? And I said, yeah, I can talk openly. And he says, well, you know, Axo's number one in the world, number one or two, in all the countries in the world except Canada, we're number four why do you think that is? I said, well, I can tell you exactly why yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I rattled off a whole list of reasons. He says, oh, that's interesting. He says, do you have any ideas? Mm. And I said, well, let me think about it. And then I said, and I, call, and I called him back a couple days later, and I said, yeah, you know, I, I have an idea. He said, what's that? And I said, well, how does this sound? You and I partner together. Mm-hmm. I buy from your suppliers directly, and we share in the profit, and we're 50-50 partners. That way, the money, that way you don't have to sell to me at a distributor price, and yeah. then I mark it up and sell it to a dealer, and then they mark it up and sell it at retail. We cut right. out that, yeah. that distributor margin. Yep. And he says, yeah, I like it. Keep talking. So I said, well, I need some numbers, and right. we'll play with some, some plans and see how that works. And that's how we started Axo Canada.
1: And then Mechanicsware came along with it.
0: And Mechanics, yeah. Axo Renthal Mechanicsware right. came along with it. It, it. 661 didn't start until, I think it was, oh, one
1: or oh, really? Okay, I thought it was late 90s. 2000, somewhere around there.
0: 2000, somewhere yep. around there. Yeah. And I was only an investor of 661 at the time. He set up parts and motovan as a distributor in Canada because I was doing this other thing. Yeah. And they didn't do very good. And, he said, and Eddie said, you know, I need you to do this in Canada. I said, yeah. after Axel went away, I said, okay, yeah I'll do it. And Axel. The first year, the first year he was selling $50,000 each to parts and motovan. And in the first year, a year after that, I sold a million dollars worth of 661.
1: Wow. Really? In Canada. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, hey, work on this. He said, well,
0: what's the reason? for? Why, why, how right. can you do that? What's the reason? He's trying to explain it to all his sales guys. And I said, it's just focus. <laughs> he said, Parts and Motivan are focused on everything, uh, everything everything but your stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's tough uh, in these huge distributors to get space and time, right? Space and yep, time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yep. um, that's kind of that's kind it. If you can do it, you can do it. Um what uh, The Renthal thing must have been pretty good for for you, though.
0: Rental was fantastic yeah. at the time. Yeah, Renthal was uh, – we were sponsoring every team yeah. in Canada, and everybody was carrying it, and then uh, and then the place burned down. Yeah. They had a fire. Yeah. And, uh, and then we had to limit the supply. We had to allocate whatever we could get, and it actually worked out really well because we were getting just enough to satisfy the needs but not enough to really – You know, it was a supply and demand thing. right, right. And uh, it really, really, when Renthal got rebuilt, it just went crazy for a while.
1: I I talked to the Renthal guys. I said, hey, you need to run, like, your old ads again or something, you know. Put a book out, and they're like, we lost it all in the fire. We lost all our original photos and, you know, templates and drawings and everything in the fire. I'm like, wow, that was a big deal. Um, yeah. And AXO kind of didn't work out. The gear was sort of... Well,
0: No, you know, what happened is we got two years, not even two years into the AXO thing, and then Jim said, you know, I got a problem. I said, what's that? And he goes, well, you know, Remo sold 50% of AXO to this investor, and they're not getting along. And so he sold the rest of it. Um, and so now they're the boss, and they want to do things all different. Yeah. And... Uh, and uh, he says, "I can't, I can't live with what they're they're wanting to do." So we're going to drop Axo. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the short story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, "Well, what are we going to do? We're selling a million dollars worth of Axo, and then we have you know right. a little bit of mechanics wear, and and we're doing well with Renthal." He says, "Yeah, you're going to have to find some other lines to yeah. make up the difference for now." Wow. So that's what we did.
1: Oh wow, uh, man! A lot of listening to this whole thing, talking to you, like a lot of things happened to your businesses that were out of your control. Exactly, but you always sort of seem to rebound and make it work, right? Like uh, it seems. Yeah. Like,
0: well, you have to. Do, yeah. You have to. You know, you got to solve problems,
1: right? Yeah. Your whole Your whole story is kind of like, and then they did this, so then I had to do this, and then they did yep. that, and <laughs> I had to do that. You know what I mean? Like.
0: And uh, even to this day, and even now, I'm a lot smarter now, and we're trying to think ahead. Right. And we're strategizing. We're doing. We do a lot more strategizing than we used to do. Uh-huh. We used to just do stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then whatever happened happened, and we'll deal with it, after it happens. But now we're trying to look ahead and say, okay, well, if we do this. What do you think is going to happen a year or two down the road? Right. So we're a little bit smarter now.
1: Do you feel like Brady maybe didn't didn't do that when he hired Newf?
0: Like he didn't. Maybe...
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did he not look ahead? Uh, do you think far enough? Yeah.
0: Well, you know, Brad is more the business side of it. Okay. Uh, you know, it was more like Brad, of Brad I like and I talking, sitting down, going, "You know, Brad's too busy handling all the export business with Atlas, right. and he can't focus on any on any um, domestic business, and, and he's got all these rider support guys and all this stuff, and mm-hmm. he just he got too busy, and so we said, well, you know, Ryan Lockhart,
1: there's that guy over right there, in, would fit right in, right. and so he is. <laughs> I'm kidding for people who think I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm a dick, um, and so Eddie starts off six six one, early two yep. thousands. Yep. And again, like I said in that podcast to him, he, he, he hits another home run.
0: The right place at the right time with the right product.
1: i got to be honest. When I saw 661, as a consumer, or I was in the industry at this point, you know, as a mechanic yep. or whatever. I'm just like, eh, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yep. just another company, but uh, I was wrong. It, it, it yeah, was... well,
0: they started off in the cycling right. stuff, gloves and, and shoes. And then, before you know it, they had you know all these pads and stuff, and it was they were only a chest protector away for being in the moto business. And so, but the big success for Six Six One, the big the big secret early on, were these pressure suits mm-hmm. um, that they were selling in the bicycle business that 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 uh, crossed over into the moto side in the cross country guys and all that. Not the not the not the motocross racer guys but mm-hmm. the other recreational yeah, guys. Yeah. Protection thing was huge at the time and they were the first ones well Dane had a had a pressure suit. And you know theirs was like 400 bucks up here, 500 bucks. So it was crazy priced, but you know that's what the market wanted. And 661 had the had a factory in Taiwan make the uh their pressure suit and they came out at the right price point with the right design and the price was like half of what Easy was and we sold Steve thousands of them. Really? Thousands. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Thousands. It was ridiculous how many of those we were selling.
1: Um just because it was a just a, a right time, right place kind
0: of product, huh? Like yep. it was that's exactly because now because a few years later when we sold six six one, we weren't selling that many pressure suits because guess what? Fox had one, Thor had one, Troy Lee had one, everybody had yeah, one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um and uh, the pie got smaller.
1: Right. And uh, did you did you get the kind of, I mean, obviously the times were different, but did you get the kind of success with 661 in Canada that you had hoped for? Yep. That you had, you know, thought Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah,
0: 661 did really well in Canada.
1: So Eddie sells it to 777? Yep. And I guess you, you're you an investor in it, so that's sort of your, is it your say at all or no? Is it kind of like uh, Eddie? My say
0: as far as what?
1: Well, like, hey, I want to sell this. Uh, what do you think? Well, or, well,
0: actually, we had had a couple of people come and want to buy it. Eddie was getting guys... You know okay. those guys down there get yeah. successful places down there get get offers all the time. Not right. offers, but inquiries. Right. I mean, mechanics work get some every day.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And um, and so Eddie, Eddie said, "Yeah, I got you know this guy that we know in the industry that deals in acquisitions and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're they're interested in buying." And he's going, "I don't think we, you know, I think we got a lot of momentum and blah 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 blah." And I said, "Well, you know, I don't know. I think I see other competitors cutting into us." And we had another partner in Europe, mm-hmm. Martin. Uh, who was in England, and uh, him and Eddie were kind of on the fence, and I was the one who really pushed to sell. I said, "If we <laughs> yeah, can get yeah. that price, yeah. I think it's a good time to sell." I just don't see good things in the near future. Yeah, and sure enough, we closed that deal, and it wasn't a couple months later uh, the world was in a deep recession.
1: Yeah, I mean it was a perfect time. Though. Was it Triple Seven or Mag Group? I get them all mixed up.
0: Was it? No, Mag Group is different. Okay. Mag Group is different. Yeah. it was Triple Seven, and they had bought One Industries. Tag and. Tag, and tag, and, yeah. and you know they wanted six six one, so yeah, we we went along with that yeah, deal.
1: Perfect. And 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 Eddie had started branching out into like uh, levers and controls and that kind Sunline, of stuff. Well, Sunline, well, he bought yeah.
0: Sunline, right? He, he resurrected the old Sunline.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was called Sunline. That's right.
0: That was from the seventies. That was gold right. belt yeah, gold and belt Sunline, the grip, and, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah, right. Remember DeHandlers? Yeah, Foster D- D- and Hannah.
1: You know they should. I don't know why nobody and and I should have asked Eddie this, or I should see, ask him when I see him in Seattle. It's the only place I ever see him at. But uh, why don't they bring back the De Bruiser? That's a
0: good idea. Uh they did sort of try that a little bit, but I don't know. Ah, the Bruiser. Everybody had one. My dad. Made, I know.
1: My dad made me run one.
0: Yeah, maybe. they were kind of hokey, really.
1: Whatever, Rick. Uh, <laughs> uh, so again, you sell it and uh, you move on, and this time. You were kind of done. You were this, well. Yeah, I, this I mean, time this was, it's like
0: okay, I'm I'm moving towards the I'm uh, the exit plan is in the is yeah. in my future here. Right, so right,
1: right, right. Um, wow, it's kind of cool, cool story and cool uh, healing business. Um, what, what do you, what do you think makes a successful company? Well, do you have principles? do you have basics that you um that you draw on that you would well, the on? obvious
0: stuff I mean you have to have a good product at the right price and all those kind of things, and you have to market it and create demand and all that but really, the magic is focus, yeah, and you can't give stuff away <laughs> you just don't stay in you just don't stay in business i yeah. when I say give stuff away i mean yeah. I mean you just can't give away the farm every day you know, right. selling, selling it for, for right. no profit. You, my dad instilled that in me in the very beginning. He said, you know, you have to make a living. Yeah, You can't, you can't just keep everybody else in business. And uh-huh. I've kind of gone by that principle. And, you know, for me, it's, you know, get a good product line, get it exclusive, and, and run with it. Focus. Yeah. Uh, Focus it... is the key.
1: What about marketing-wise? What, what do you think about, like, what's, if you had to start a startup company right now, how would you, how would you market it? What's the best way?
0: What do you Well, obviously the internet has a lot of pull now. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm the wrong guy to ask that because I I'm not an expert, I'm a copycat. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm the I'm the conservative guy. I'm the guy that doesn't want to spend too much. And Eddie's the other guy that does want to, you know, right. does want to go for it. And so, you know, it's, that's why we make a good pair because I'm the voice of reason. and He's always bouncing stuff off me, and I'm always tr- trying to trim him back a little <laughs> bit.
1: Right, right. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I get a little bit involved with X-Brand Goggles now, right? Like I, I'm, yeah. I don't, I'm not owner of the business or anything like that. I just help Rich Taylor out when I yeah, can. And, I know. And his, his, you know, he's a small company. and So do you, do you give a rider, um, a high-profile rider, a lot of money, all your budget? And hope roll the dice that he does well and gives your product exposure, or do you help out a bunch of smaller guys and have more product out there? Uh, you, you definitely have you know? to do a
0: little bit of everything. There's yeah. no one thing. Yeah. You dump all your money into one guy and he gets hurt. Then right. what are you gonna do?
1: Right. Exactly.
0: So you can't do that.
1: And uh, and you I know you have to that. do
0: a little of everything. You right. have to do a little bit of you know. Well, what we're doing, you do a little bit of magazine stuff, a little bit of banner stuff on the website. Yeah. Uh, some free product, some some more, some higher profile guys. Super. You pay a little more and yeah. and do that, but it all it's that's the package, you know. I mean, that's it in a nutshell.
1: Um, and and I noticed that the, your son Brady uh, picked up Ryan Villapoto, which is huge for Atlas. I mean, yep. obviously you had Jake Weimer before, and that's a, that's a, a great level and a, uh, and a great guy. But this is huge.
0: Yeah, I know. It was funny. I was saying to people that. You know, uh, it's really weird, you know. We we needed to launch Atlas with somebody, and, you know, we we worked with Jeremy McGrath a little bit, and he he helped us out, but, you know, he's kind of, you know, he didn't want to be forced, you know, he he didn't want to do a deal where he always had to wear a brace, because he said, you know, sometimes I wear a chest protector, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I wear the brace, sometimes I don't. And that's fine. You know, yeah. we, we wanted to have him help as part of the team. And he's given us some input and, and he's working with us on, on different things. And, and so, you know, that he's a great guy and all that. But, you know, and he still rides. And yeah. so we get a little bit from that relationship. And then, but we needed a current guy to launch with. yeah. And so we tried with Ryan, you know, last year. And, you know, we've known Ryan since he was on 60s. Right. Him and Brady used to race together. Yep. And uh, they were from Washington. They used to come up here and stay at our house. And you know, the kids are friends. You know, Ryan and Brady are friends. And we try to do a deal. And Ryan says, "Yeah, I'll do a deal. I, I don't have to do. I can do whatever I want." Right. Well, it turns out after we got down to it that he didn't even know he had a contract with Alpine Star <laughs> on the brace. <laughs> Shocking. He didn't even know. Yeah, yeah. So we said, "Okay, well, that doesn't end until 2012. So there's not a lot we can do." And. Yeah. And uh but we had Weimer. We launched with Weimer and yeah. Jake's a good guy and he did better than we even really expected him to do. Yeah. The the really weird thing is, is you know, as much as we as we have Jake and we really like Jake and he's done a great job and we got good exposure, as soon as we announced Ryan, it was like, Okay, well now you now you're credible.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's you didn't weird. have the yeah.
0: credibility before, but now you had a little bit, but now you're really credible. Yeah. Crazy it's really weird. Right.
1: Um It's crazy how there's you know, you count on one hand the amount of riders that move product. Maybe less
0: than one hand. That's what Eddie always says. He goes, "This guy sells product. This guy doesn't." You yeah,
1: know? yeah. Which is unfortunate. So there are definitely for, guys like that. It's unfortunate for people listening that you know are, are maybe wondering about other riders. But it's the facts are the facts. I mean, all yeah. are, I could line up a bunch of industry people. Right. Um, uh And where are we at? Uh, moving on from from that. Canadian motocross, uh, close to mine and yours heart. Um, I've go to a couple nationals a year. I'm sure you make it out here and there when you can. Uh, yep. what's your take on Canadian moto these days? What, what are you thinking? What are you seeing? What, uh, you've been oh, there from boy. the seventies you know, to the eighties. You
0: know? I'm really, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you can't, I mean, you know, even though it was CMA back in my day, it, the, the series wasn't that bad,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it, it was a decent little series and then it fizzled out and it became really bad. And, all the CMA tracks kind of disappeared, and they're more of a club-level type philosophy. They want to sanction races and collect insurance and that type of thing. They're they're not really promoters, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's the difference. Mark Stallybrass was a promoter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he came in, he really turned things around. I mean, things were fantastic at 2000, 2001, 2002. Yeah. I mean, just really, you know, he got it on TV, which was just huge. You know, nobody got- had ever seen anything like that before. But, you know, it's getting stale, it's gone downhill a little bit. Um, uh, you know, it's not on speed in the states anymore, which I thought was a huge, a uh, 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 no. huge thing in yeah. the wrong. In the wrong, way. he didn't want to pay for it. I guess is what I heard. But I thought that's how he got all those U.S. sponsors. I mean, just yeah. look at the market down there. You know, how can you say no to, to to having it on on speed in the U.S.? So as soon as that went away, it's been going downhill sort of ever since. But the real the state of of moto is i I, I say the same things all the time they really it's it, it's it's kind of minor league you know I mean they try and do a good job and they do do a good job really, but there's a lot of things that can be better the the, the tracks the track preparation is most of the time horrible. it has been year after year after year, mm-hmm. and all the complaining and it 's still bad. Um, you know they they're they're overworked and underpaid. I guess all the volunteer guys. You know, God yeah. bless them for what they do. Right. But as a racer, you know, you just you just want us, you want the track prepped properly. You know, and yeah. I don't mean it has to be groomed like a freeway all yeah. the time. All I mean is the proper amount of water.
2: Yeah, right, for right.
0: safety's sake. Right. You know, so they either have way too much water or way not enough water. So that's one problem I have with it. I think the tracks look like crap on yeah. TV. Um, again. They got have guys putting up the banners and all that kind of stuff. But they're just – I mean, it's a joke, really, when it comes right down to it. You watch it, and it's like, God, that looks bad compared to watching a U.S. one.
1: I wonder if it's just a matter uh, of uh, dumping more money into it, if, if Mark and the CMRC are – Well, taking, I think
0: that's part of it. I mean,
1: are they taking – is there money there that they are taking – instead Probably of putting not. back in. I doubt it. I mean, who knows?
0: Yeah. Probably. I don't know. You right. know, the rumor is Monsters putting in all this money, and where's it all going? They didn't have that money before, right. and they were doing it. So I, don't, I can't answer that question, yeah. and I don't really want to throw anybody under the bus. Right, right. But, you know, the ring, the one thing that really bothers me is the rider is the, is the uh, purse money.
2: Right,
0: right. It's just ridiculous that it hasn't changed in 10 years.
2: Yeah.
0: But the entry fees have gone up, and I was going to mention that about Supercross, too, it's really frustrating for me to see. These guys are risking serious injury and sometimes death, right? Mm-hmm. And the risk versus the reward is just not there. I was just talking to Marty Smith uh, Marty Smith at Anaheim last week, and mm-hmm. his son, Tyler, was going to, you know, Marty was prepping him to get into the pro ranks and do that. And, and Tyler said, you know, the risk versus the reward just just wasn't there for me. I just mm-hmm. didn't want to risk myself. For the rest of my life to to earn what's what's possible to earn out there, right. um, you know the entry fees. I think are, I mean, the last time I looked, and that was a year or two ago, it was two hundred dollars for a supercross. Well, when Brady was doing it, it was a hundred dollars, and then one hundred and twenty-five, and they still haven't changed. They well, haven't changed that pay.
1: No, they, they did actually. They took the seven thousand dollars, seven seventy, seven thousand seven hundred dollars that they paid in the privateer fund for years and yeah. years. They took that and dumped it into the main event pay. This oh, was they maybe did. two years ago, so uh-huh. I believe the last place in the main event pay go went from um, three hundred. No, 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 in four hundred and fifty class. Anyways, I guess. Oh, four hundred and fifty.
0: Yeah. yeah, from a thousand.
1: Uh, 1000 to 1250 or something. You know, yeah, well, it was, big deal. I mean, yeah, it wasn't a huge jump, but they did, uh, they did dump, dump in the seventh. Because yeah. they were having trouble figuring out who was a privateer and who wasn't. So they said, yeah, you know I, what? Yeah, I, I know. They said, screw the, it. The
0: thing you is, is the, the pay, whether it's Canadian motocross or Supercross or American nationals, to me, should be five times what it is. Yeah. At least. Well, h- at least five times. When you make a main event at a Supercross, that's like making it to the Olympics. And if you finish on the podium... That's like getting a medal in the Olympics to me. I mean you can That's clear. how hard that's how much work it takes. Yeah.
1: Or you, more. You could definitely question um the CMRC and if there's enough profits there to do that. But you can't question that in Supercross there's tremendous amount of profits. Absolutely. Tremendous amount of profits. And and I mean yeah. if they weren't, you know, the the Monster slash Supercross sold for three hundred million dollars from Live Nation to Feld. So, yeah. so there's even, money there. Yeah. Somebody's making a lot of money that thought that it was yeah. worth three hundred million.
0: You well, know? it's worth three hundred million and they got ten times earnings, even that's thirty million a year they were making.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So thirty million, what? They can't take a million bucks out and throw it into the purse for yeah. the whole year.
1: That's frustrating for sure. Although, you know, you got a guy like Dave Gowan and I spoke to him about this a while ago, and Dave says to me, and he has a point, Mathis, no matter where that purse is, people will complain. And, yeah. and well, that is that's true. true. That is absolutely true. You could make that yeah. purse. $20,000 at, at a Canadian national, and guys will be like, we need more.
0: You know? yeah. but well, if you look at that, what it, you know, they always compare it to NASCAR. If you look at what it costs to do NASCAR, mm. of course it costs more than it costs to do Supercross, yeah. but, you know, they also get paid yeah. 10 or 20 times more.
1: There's, a, there's no excuse for Mark and the CMRC when they made the 250 series a national series and no, no longer a regional. They left the purse the same, and there's no that, excuse for that. That, That's what That I'm talking purse, about. that purse should have immediately been bumped up to the same level <clears throat> as a 450, yeah. or or very close. Um, yeah. the, the 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 MX2 is uh, is ridiculous. But anyways, um,
0: but so especially the MX2. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, hey, Rick, thank you for for doing the uh, BTOsports.com Direct Motocross Podcast. Uh, really interesting guy. Um, you are and a really interesting story. I think that people will uh, get a kick out of it and all the things you've done. And 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 much like Eddie Coles' podcast that I did. Uh, your friend Eddie Cole, I, I I learned some things, and 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 it was interesting to see the different steps along the way. You know, yeah. uh, everybody kind of. Hey, I do
0: want to say one other thing that yeah. I've had on the back of my mind for a while. Right. You know, all the guys that land on these tough blocks in Supercross. Yeah. You know, since I since Brady was racing Supercross, I've always thought, you know, why are the tough blocks rectangular shaped on the landings of the jumps? Mm-hmm. On the side of the landings of the jumps, these rectangular shapes. Um, obstacles are sitting there. When somebody get, you know, you saw Josh Hansen land on one, Bill Poto landed on one, and I don't know how many other guys. Oh, I yeah, see it all yeah. the time. When you have those, I think those things should be cut on a diagonal so it's wedge-shaped for the landings of the jump. So if a guy miscalculates, bumps another guy, whatever, he lands on this, it's not going to throw him down on the ground. It's like, it's like landing on the side of a berm a little bit. Do you follow what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely. It's too bad you said that on a podcast because that's a good idea. You should invent that.
0: Yeah, well, whatever. Let's leave it to somebody else. I'm <laughs> the, old now; those
1: days are over for you, right? <laughs> but I've
0: been thinking about that for years. Yeah. But anyway, that's—I just wanted to throw that well, out there. At least they... i am kind of a safety, a safety uh, guy.
2: Wow. Well, you know, I kind
0: of and... like like things to be safe. I hate seeing these guys guys get hurt.
1: And I imagine you know the the neck brace industry. You found out that safety is well, very much protected at all costs by other companies. That, Absolutely. That, that <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a whole nother um, yeah. can of worms. But uh. Um, well, at least they're strapping the tough block covers down now, so we don't have the
0: repeat. Yeah, that's a little better. Yeah. But, you know, why have a square thing on yeah. the side of the track?
1: Right. Why not make it? Yeah, absolutely. You, you, anyway. You have a point there. Um, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. An hour, over an hour of your time is, is, is hard to get, I would imagine. So, um, no thank, problem. Thank you for doing this. Always uh, always interesting guy. Uh, when will I see you next? What's the plan?
0: Uh, probably at a Supercross again. Yeah. I went to Anaheim 1. We're right. thinking about maybe going to San Diego, if not uh I don't know. I don't know. Maybe a Canadian National, maybe Vegas probably. Okay. Yeah. I think i like going to Vegas so it's easy for us to go there and yeah. we go there a couple times a year anyway, so right. I tie that in it. Makes a nice makes a nice time. So if I don't see uh, either San Diego, Seattle or Vegas would right. be the three opportunities, I think.
1: Perfect. All right. Well, thanks very much, man. And you have a good day, and I'm sure we'll talk soon.
0: Thanks a lot, Steve. Thanks, Rick. Okay. Bye.